welcome to Pitch Please. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome or welcome back to those that have been listening. We are Rebellious PR, a full service public relations agency headquartered in Portland and Los Angeles. Our goal, you might ask, of course, amplifying the stories of the diverse companies by telling stories worth hearing. Um, we bring raw ideas, fresh insights, unique expertise, and cultural competency to the table. And we are rebellious because our clients disrupt industries and create revolutionary work. And of course, we are committed to disrupting our own industry of PR with PR done better. Um, we're breaking down the walls in relentless pursuit for all of our people here. Um, I'm here to help take you through the pod. Of course, welcome. I'm Megan Jones. Uh, you guys, head over to the SoundCloud, uh, anywhere pretty much on the internet. Throw us into Google. You'll find us, Rebellious PR. Um, of course, we're on IG, we're on Twitter, all of those great things. Um, and of course, with us on our show today, always and forever, our founder and CEO, Evie Smith. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hello. 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 <laughs> uh, and of course, our VP in the house, Rachel Johnston. Welcome back, Rachel. Hi. Hi. I was going to try to interrupt you also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, damn. Um, but our, our theme this season, right, is trailblazers, um, how they're cutting through the noise. We want to talk all about that. And on today's show, um, we have Steph. Uh, you are the founder and CEO of Cute Little Fuckers. Uh, first off, I cannot wait. They're in the background right now. Um, I'm absolutely loving them. Um, but Cute Little Fuckers is a gender-inclusive sex toy company that has produced a series of sex toys that are shaped like cute little alien monsters, y'all. Can't wait for you to check them out. Um, and of course, that's to both them make them more approachable, accessible to the sexually timid, and of course, more exciting to the sexually expressed. So we are very excited to have you on the show today, Steph. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to be here with you all. Yeah, I'm definitely pumped. Um, so really to, to, before I kick it over to Evie, just, you know, want to note that it's, you know, in the way people are trailblazers, some of the most notable and, you know, disruptive inventions of tomorrow require, you know, basically change in the way we interpret, thing, interpret things today. So, and that's in the way we perform tasks, in the technologies and resources we have access to. So I think that um, Cute Little Fuckers is just that, you know, blazing the trails in the way that um, it's interpreted in the way that it's used. So um, Evie, I'm going to ask that you kind of take us, take us through and, and kick it off with stuff. Of course, I would be honored. Um, I mean, Steph, usually a great place for us to start is just a little bit about like, how did cute little fuckers come to be? And what is your initial background in? Absolutely. So my, I guess, historical work has largely revolved around electronics. Uh, I studied electroengineering in undergrad and usually did a bunch of community development for uh, electronics, usually in the open source, open hardware world. And that's what I did during the day. And in the nights and weekends, I did a lot of sex positive event work and queer activism. I started a collective called Loud and Queer a couple of years ago, where we did a bunch of largely events, occasionally video work, but all around sex positivity, queer positivity, queer activism, those sorts of things. And so I've been kind of living this double life, so to speak, uh, for a number of years. Uh, when I was working in my day job and just 
started uh, slowly over a course of a couple months, losing a lot of use of my hands and feeling in my hands. Um, quickly, that started spreading to other parts of my body, my feet, things like that. It was what was originally thought was carpal tunnel, uh, really quickly showed itself to be something much more. Many months later, it was diagnosed as Lyme disease, something that I still battle with ongoing today very much. Um, but at the time, I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is that I couldn't use a computer anymore at the time. And I had to leave my job because of that. I was like, what do I do with myself now? I had you know, this clear career path or to me, uh, in front of me, that was just kind of, it was like the floor went out and sitting there, kind of in this existential nothingness. I was like, well, what do I do now? And this, and like my mind jumped to this statement that a, that a friend of mine jokingly said, or only half jokingly said in a conversation multiple years ago where they said something about like Pokemon sex toys and everyone in the room like laughed, but then was like, honestly, that sounds great. And like weirdly in my existentialness, like that was what kept popping up in my head. I was like, what, why am I thinking about sex toys? No, I need to like, I need to get my tip together. I need to get my health together and just like sex toys, sex toys, sex toys that were popping up in my head. And then I was like, wait, duh. Like that is just like such a clear merging of these two worlds, both of which I've loved so much, which is why I've been in them, uh, is sex toys. And so I figured, what the hell? I've got nothing I'm doing now. Let me put some designs together, make some prototypes, throw out, uh, throw a Kickstarter out there and see where it goes. And with uh, a lot of the help from you all, the Kickstarter went awesome. It was funded in 12 hours. It raised three times its goal by the end and was just spectacular. And so, you know, about a year later, here we are. <laughs> Cute little fuckers, a company. Wow. A, com a real company. <laughs> a real company. Whoa, when that happened. Well, and I, I feel like when you, the, the timing of when you approached us like couldn't have been better as far as like the kinds of stories we were seeing as well as placing out like in the world around sex and censorship and sex toys. And it just like, for you to have this idea, it, it, like it, it hit you at the right time, you know, um, as shitty as the circumstances leading up to it, where it's like, you know, I don't know if the world would have been as receptive to a brand like cute little fuckers 10 years ago, but they were really ready for it in 2020. And they're really hungry for it in 2021. So I think that timing and the, the little voice in your head, um, really led you, led you well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think so too. Awesome. Um, so what, is there anything like what's going, I mean, I feel like we know what's going on at the boundaries of the sex toy industry, but like, where do you want to push cute little fuckers into next? Like what makes you really excited in the sex toy industry? What, what is sort of like keeping you awake at night in the exciting way? In the exciting way. Um, yeah, that inclusivity is starting to be more real. Uh, I feel like 20 years ago, we started seeing some big movements in the sex positive world with like almost like second wave feminism. And that's when you started seeing like, uh, like the good vibes and things like start really blowing up these toy shops that weren't 
talking about sex as a vice, but instead as a healthy, expressive part of our lives. Um, and that's been really amazing and really paved a lot of the groundwork for this like really expressive, like healthy side of sexuality that we see in the industry. And now with kind of more like intersectional feminism being what's big now and about how it not just being solely about women's rights, but about being like also being about race and uh, and like beyond the binary gender and just like this really like more encompassing view of kind of like what a more accepting, like progressive integrated world looks like. And I, I believe the world of adult toys is really starting to work along with that as well. I mean, like you said, 10 years ago, gender inclusive toys probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of traction. Um, but now uh, with you know all of these concepts in the air and people feeling much more comfortable and able to express themselves fully, regardless of um, their gender and sexuality, we are seeing that these, what was previously fringe is now becoming more, more and more mainstream and more and more the norm. And I think that's absolutely amazing. And I think we are seeing a lot of that happening in the adult toy world. Um, we're definitely lagging behind a little bit in the sense that like, I think most industries lag because companies tend to be very conservative, both like ideologically and also fiscally. And to put a lot of money into a venture that might boom or bust, especially something as radical as gender inclusive, um, it's been a slow process. I know by the time I got around to doing this and was looking up, you know, when I was going to do the Kickstarter, I was like looking up what the quote unquote, I don't want to say competition, but like who else is already doing that? Because I, I think there should be lots of people. So I don't really consider people in the space as competition. Um, but like, who else is doing it? I was like, come on, everybody. Like, what do you mean? There's there like really wasn't that much at all. And like, what? You've got to be kidding me. Um, and yeah, but, but, you know, it's starting to happen with, there's, there's starting to be little inklings of it everywhere. I mean, cute little fuckers, the fact that we can exist, the fact that we can have a Kickstarter that's successful and a business that is now running making money uh, really is showing that that change is occurring both in the industry and on the consumer demand. Yeah. And I think um, that's a great, it's a great call out because one of my favorite uh, pieces that we've worked on together was the op-ed that you wrote for XBiz magazine um, about like buyers needing to adjust for, um, for sex shops uh, to based on, the, this next wave of, of people who will be their shoppers. Um, I think the the title that we landed on was like queer or die, essentially that these, that these shops need to adjust like what has typically been a very heteronormative space to make it more inclusive to the different kinds of um, people that will be shopping there and looking for, for toys that work with their identity, their, you know, what their likes and dislikes are. Um, and Cute Little Fuckers, I think, does something that even other um, 
other toys, devices, things that queer people use. Um, cute little fucker, cute little fuckers does something that those don't even do, right? Like you've really gone sort of a step further in reimagining what the what the toy can look like, um, and that that is truly unique uh, in and of itself. Which I think everyone is sort of always trying to innovate, like what a vibrator looks like. But by giving them personalities and by connecting it to this webcomic series, like it really is just something that no one has been willing to do. It's always been like, you know, the, 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 the details have always been like the color and the vibrational movements and your details were like, what are their names and pronouns? And like, mm-hmm. what is, uh, what are some of the, uh, different abilities that can use the toy based on its design, which I think is a really um, incredible way that you added in a personal touch about your like physical abilities into making this, uh, your line most accessible to other folks as well. Absolutely. I think that's totally true. Thanks for picking that up. Uh, Yeah, it, it is, it was really fun to, to design in actual like character components, right? Where you mentioned the details aren't just color and vibrational patterns. It's, you know, who, what is this character? How adorable are they? And how does this unique shape actually give it a lot of functions beyond um, just kind of like what I like to call like one trick pony toys where so many toys out there are like, this is for this, like this is a clitoral, clitoral stimulator. It stim- stimulates clits, that's all it does use it like that or don't at, at all. And, and really like there's, there's so much more room for play and experiences. And I also feel like that design and versatility aspect of these toys is a key part to the gender inclusive nature of it. When you create toys with such specific uses, you really narrow who can use it or who it thinks they can use it. Because it could be that that design that you think can only be used in this one way for this one type of body can actually be used in multiple ways on all sorts of different bodies. But when you only look at that it through that lens and only express that lens to your users, then they only can see within those limitations as well. So it's actually this versatility in design that creates more inclusivity. That and the fact that because they are so adorable and fun, that they are also including people who might otherwise be more timid. I think you also touched on that. But like when they're cute monsters, people feel more, some people feel more comfortable exploring that way. The number of messages we've gotten uh, as a company, whether through emails or social media, who are like, oh, I never felt comfortable exploring sex toys, but I always wanted to. And and then I saw yours and was like, I can do this. And, and I love them. And I love them so much. And that, that to me just always makes my heart feel 10 times bigger. Yeah, I love that so much. And it's, uh, it really underscores the fact that like not everything has to be for everybody, but if it can work with everybody, then great. Um, like everybody and every body as well. So I think that that's something, you know, that's super special about it. Cause I've also like, I think that for, you know, every 10 people that are like, I love this, this has made it more approachable. There might be one person that's like, this isn't for me. Like, and that's okay because there's a hundred other toy brands out there that are for that person, but you've created something that is maybe for the person that didn't see those other 
toys or devices or items as being something that was approachable for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a, I have a quick question for everybody who's um, going to be listening. Cute little fuckers, tell us, where was this name birthed from? We must know. It must be shared. The masses must know this stuff. Um, to, you know, like, what did, did it just come to you? And... It, where did it come from? Where did it come from? I was, I was brainstorming a ton of names at the time. Early on, I really did a lot of my homework on trying to make sure that I wasn't built for something that nobody wanted <laughs> or that nobody but my, like, me and my, like, couple freaky friends were like, yeah, I'll stick an octopus on my butt. Like, what wanted? <laughs> yes. And of course. And so, um, and so I was like, really, like anyone who would talk to me about it, I would have friends, introduce me to friends, introduce me to friends so that I didn't know these people at all and would just like ask them about sex toys and their sex toy experiences and what they, what they liked and what they didn't like. And always I would run by like what my couple names that I had brainstormed, my favorite names were, and hear what people had to say. And I, and cute little fuckers, I don't even remember where it came up because I didn't have it at the beginning. When I was starting to interview people, there's actually a name that I like, I thought was great. Like before cute little fuckers came up, I really wanted to name the, the project Cooties. And like 50% of the people were like, that's the best name ever. I love it. And 50% of the people were like, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and I'm like, oh, wow. That's really polarizing. Wow. Like, nobody was yeah. like, that's okay. They either loved it or they were like, that that makes me feel worse. And I was like, okay, great. We're not doing that. And then, no gross. No. <laughs> no gross, right? That is like the opposite of what you want. And then... Gosh, I, I think it just popped up or maybe a, somebody suggested it, but like probably doesn't even remember they suggested it. I don't right. even know. Like it was just like at one point it came in the air and it's like, oh, that's pretty good. And then like everyone I talked to at that point was like, oh, that's the best. Oh, that's the best. Oh, that's the best. And and it like once it once it was on the table, it was just very clear. Everybody just loved the name cute little fuckers. You know, every once in a while someone's like, oh, you might get into some problems where you can't put fuck somewhere. And I'm like, maybe, but like also it's a sex toy. So like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, so maybe those are the places I don't want to be then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Word. Um, I feel like cooties could be like one of those weird trademark things, like, like happy, how happy birthday, you know, like it's like one of those things where it's like, Mm -hmm. since it's like an old timey kind of word so you might have saved yourself some weird trademark issue down the line there is that kids game cooties there you go did anyone ever play that yeah that was the first thing that i thought of when uh when they said that was was cooties the game wasn't it like you make little bugs like Like plastic bugs bugs? Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. I feel like the amount of plastic things we touched in the eighties is like terrifying. Like if I ever have kids, it's like wood blocks or nothing. <laughs> yeah. For real. Um, okay. So I asked you earlier, what kept you awake at night in an exciting way, but like as a founder, what keeps you awake at night in the anxiety loop kind of way? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just how, 
fringe sex and sex positivity positivity still is. And not just like still is on a cultural level where there are lots of places around the country, but like where it is on a, like how fringe it is even on a functional level. The fact that a lot of banks won't work with adult toy companies and a lot of um, how there's like, you almost can't do paid advertising in the industry. There's like a couple platforms you can, and even those are like highly, highly limited as to what you can do on them. And it it just really speaks to how how scared and archaic a lot of our systems and the powers that be within them really are. Uh, and how much further there is to go, just because much more and more of the mainstream is getting on board with like the sex positive movement, so to speak. That doesn't mean that the you know old titans of the like finance world are going to are are going to let things work. I, I know when the pandemic hit, uh, my business was excluded from getting any stimulus help because we're an adult toy company. So even though they're like, oh, we're going to help people across the world. But if you're an adult toy brand, like you you just don't qualify, regardless of what anything else, regardless of how many people you employ or, or anything like that. And, and the fact that this legislation and like these rules like are still up in the air, like it not, and I mean that in like progression, it, it feels very easy to say that progression or sometimes it can feel like progression is always positive moving and always linear moving, especially as a millennial like myself, who just feels like we keep understanding more and more how the world's falling apart, but in a way that means we're like keep moving it towards the better. Um, but then I think I like the last couple of years of the Trump administration really showed how much just like how quickly things can get turned on their head. And while I do think the world is moving in a great direction for sex positivity, there's still there still is a lot of dancing, a couple steps forward, a couple steps backwards. And when you actually have your business within that industry and have to think about how to get the word out in like I always call marketing in the adult toy world like black magic. Cause it's just like it's just you can't like it's just like so nebulous in a sense. <laughs> like it's like how we, we are witches. Stuff we are. I was gonna witches. say yes, like makes sense. I feel like Rachel's sense. the head of that black magic coven right there. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and like the pitch witches. <laughs> everything you all, everything you pitch witches do on the PR side has been like so amazing. Getting people to talk about it because I feel like because social media platforms don't allow a lot of content, um, adult toy brands are kind of always at risk of having their social media accounts just deleted out of nowhere. And all of the work and energy that when it's putting those just gone because, you know, Instagram decided that that one post you did was, was a little too far. Um, yeah. So all of that, it makes me both, stay awake at night on the business sense of like, oh, how are we managing this nebulous force? And like, you know, what are, and also on a larger cultural side, like 
it feels good to be on this side of the, the movement and zeitgeist, so to speak, but it, it can, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a fragile, um, it, it makes, sometimes it makes me feel like the, the positive culture is um, somewhat fragile, but yeah. also resilient. So it's, you know, there's a lot of really tough cookies like y'all and myself in it. So we'd, we'd all go down kicking and screaming, but <laughs> yeah, going down is not an option. That's like my lifestyle. It's like failure is yeah, not an option, exactly. success only. But yeah, I mean, it's, I think like as a queer person living at this juncture in America, it's, it, it, it feels like such a fragile veil, you know, like it just, things feel, you know, as much as it's like awesome that I can get married to my wife and we can, you know, be recognized as a couple, you know, a lot of our friends, you know, are having their rights taken away in other States. And it's just like the queer identity always sort of feels like this, like fragile thing that it's like, be grateful for what you have, but it feels like they're even taking away think like just our basic human rights. And so I feel like your brand is just like so representative of like, you know, happiness and joy and, you know, all the, all the really great magical things about sex and um, queerness, not that your products are only for queer folks, but um, I feel like they do have queer identities, you know, so it it does feel like there's a, a line there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of just brings up a point to tie this into before how like this is kind of the first point in time where a company like this can really get traction. And I feel like a part of that is because on how legislation in different states really affects like very directly, uh, fiscally, what um, people in our communities can earn and then spend. Yeah, and I think that's also, um, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing your XBiz award behind you. Um, so I think it's also, there's a great great transition here because, um, you know, step won this award, uh, for what's the exact title on it. I think it was like LGBTQ, like person. Oh yeah. LGBTQ pleasure product of the year award, pleasure product brand of the year award. It's a, it's a kind of mouthy title, but it's a, it's a good trophy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as we as we talk about this, like uh, all of these important intersections here, queer identity and like you starting this company and sort of not really having any background in that, like what's your journey and experience with uh, like fighting your own voices in your head, like the imposter syndrome monster been like uh, over this over the time of developing out, you know, all of your products and coming to terms with like, you know, it being a real business. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I uh, I would say that's also my, I'm in a nice dance with imposter syndrome, where sometimes I'm leading and sometimes I'm following. Um, <laughs> uh, when, yeah, I, I mean, like, with the Expos Award, when I won the award, I was just not expecting it, so fully not expecting it. It was like an actual... For those of you listening who don't know, it's like an actual award ceremony that they normally have in person, but this time it was online and they like really pushed for like the people who were nominated to like show up online and dress up and this whole thing. And they go one by one, announce who was nominated and do the thing. Obviously they send a whole 
award, which is very, very heavy, by the way. <laughs> I was like, what is in this box? I'm like having trouble carrying it. Like literally it's like tough for my hand issues. But anyway, that's it. That's, um, but I'm like sitting there on, on my phone, you know, just watching the thing. And then they like say cute little fuckers. And like, suddenly they like put me on the spotlight as if I was on the podium. And I was just like, Hi, everybody. I'm surprised <laughs> anyone knows who I am, let alone I'm winning this award was like more or less what my speech was. I was like, thanks. My heart's going a thousand BPM, so I hope I don't faint. Like, but like this is unexpected. And that's and it was funny. I was like, I'm again, I was like, I was surprised anyone knew who I was, but then again, clearly they did because they decided that they should send me this trophy uh, about it, um, about knowing who I am. Uh, but um, yeah, I definitely feel that way. And I, I know when the trophy got here, it's like showing my housemates. And I was like, don't they know I'm just a big goofball? Like, <laughs> like this, this is, but, and, um, but like I was talking with a friend about it and I was laughing about it. I didn't take it like too seriously. And um yeah, I don't know. I just kind of thought the whole thing was funny and surreal. And then like two people after that, like really like grounded, grounded two aspects of it. Like I was just kind of laughing about it and be like, don't they know I'm a goofball? And one of my housemates was like, I'm really proud of you. This is really big. And I was like, wow, thanks for saying that. Like I, I realized there was like a part of me that wasn't giving myself that permission to be like, wow, this is really cool. And this is big. And like, that's great. I should take a moment to feel proud of that. And so that was really good. And then talking to another friend whose perspective was like, well, really, we're all just goofballs. Until, <laughs> like, and, and that's just how it is. We're all goofballs. And sometimes some of the goofballs give other boot goofballs awards about it. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's so true, too. And so I, don't know, I feel like in a way that really encapsulates my like some of the dance with imposter syndrome. So it's interesting because also like a really huge value of mine is humility. And it's interesting that humility and imposter syndrome can at sometimes be so close and then at the, but at the same time be so far apart. Um, or like, you know, humility is much more around like not, or I guess imposter syndrome is like thinking small of yourself and humility is like not thinking about yourself at all too much, like, I guess, or like, I, I don't really know how it is. Like, I don't know. Like it, it it's, it's like, I, I couldn't even, I don't even think that was it. Scratch that. I tried that. <laughs> that. That didn't, I said that, you know, when you say things and you're like that, that didn't fit. It's like trying well, you're on a rare, rare, and you're rare, like, rare. you're like, that we're, shirt doesn't we're, work. We're workshopping it. We're workshopping. Yeah. We're, we're workshopping <laughs> it. But like, yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, imposter syndrome is something that a lot of us deal with. And, you know, I think is important to overcome. And at the same time, humility is such like a, such an important tool in life. And then also I think a really under like, I feel like nobody, when they talk about entrepreneurship, talks about humility. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite. Everyone's like, you're the entrepreneur. You're the best. Like, you're amazing. Everything else is imposter, imposter syndrome. And I think humility is actually like an incredible tool when being an entrepreneur and a business owner. And so I think for me, part of that dance is recognizing when it's 
truly the humility that's serving me and when that feeling is actually just the imposter syndrome that's you know keeping me from being grateful for the things that I have I feel like accomplished yeah. yeah I I hear what you're saying in like trying to workshop the differentiation I I feel like the humility that I see um in you and some other founders um that feels really good is that it is um it is a willingness to accept that there's always something to learn I think the entrepreneurs that don't uh, have humility like have that hubris that and they're kind of like know-it-alls about everything um and and with you I see this like you're you're like a sponge like you're you're willing to um you know listen to feedback from your friends and from your community you're willing to you know trust us who before working with you we were a bunch of strangers um you know and and really collaborate and i think that humility uh is is the skill that you need to be a successful entrepreneur so that you can put trust into other people who are experts in their fields for the sake of you know real meaningful collaboration and people who think that they already have all the answers or already know what's best you know that's where you get into the territory of you know not of being a really bad partner of being really impossible to work with and then not seeing any growth. Um, and, and where imposter syndrome sort of sits in there, I feel like is telling yourself that you shouldn't collaborate with people or like that you, you don't deserve the, the accolades that, that you get when you do something successfully. So I, I do see this the, the distinction that you're making, and I and I think that they are um, important pieces to the portrait of the entrepreneur. Absolutely. Also, I love that. Did, did we just come up with like the next? You called you, you called them a you called them a sponge. Did we just come up with like the next creature like stuff <laughs> the sponge? I don't I don't know. That's like a, like a sea sponge. I feel like that's very. That'd be so cute. You know, like. <laughs> Just saying, just concepting yeah. that out right now. Um, I love it. I've got a whole notebook full of full of sketches. Like this, these yeah. are these are just the beginning. Oh my gosh, you I, guys! They they have so they have a bunch of new toys slated for this year that are I'm so excited to see. Um, I'm I'm curious in in that respect. Like, are has there ever been maybe a project or? Uh, you know, a company or product idea that you hadn't chased after before? By hadn't chased after. Yeah, that you like, you mean that like, you just kind of, you had the, you had the crazy idea, but then you were like, no, not, not going to do that. But like this crazy idea, you decided like, you know, what, I'm going to do this. This is for me. Oh yeah. I come up about, I come up with about half a dozen crazy ideas before lunch every day. Uh, like that, like for me I don't know like for me I my personal work is largely around learning how to pump my brakes to take care of myself rather than how to motivate myself to do something or come up with something creative like a couple weeks ago someone invited me to a creativity workshop and I was like please I don't need that I don't need <laughs> any more any more juice going in my brain I'm trying to calm it down <laughs> like I, I said I've got that. a whole notebook like just filled with creature designs and stuff like that and so absolutely absolutely I've had a ton of ideas in the past I've had some crazy entrepreneurship ideas that I 
have dived after, some that I haven't. I mean, even even cute little fuckers. I, part of the reason why it jumped back into my brain because I was like, oh, because when I first heard my friends say that like Pokemon for sex, I was like, oh, I should totally do that. Like, you know, put that in my box of crazy ideas. But then I'm like, I have too much going on and, and tucked it away. And so I definitely have a couple ideas in my head that are some of those that I call like that are tucked away. And that doesn't mean that I ever have to act on them. But if I ever find myself with the space and opening for it, like, sure, maybe I'll like pull one of those out of my pocket and start workshopping on that. Uh, a couple of them are adult boys uh, ideas. Um, a couple of them I've even like begun a little workshopping on. But, um, and then even like a couple uh, in the music world as well. Outside of this, I have uh, a band and uh, it's a lot, a lot of technology involved with that. It's actually a robot band. The robots play the instruments and I've had a lot of idea of like other like music technologies and stuff to bring to life as well. But uh, for, for myself recently, especially with my health issues right now, actually my like number one priority is my health. And then my business is number two. And then the band is what I do kind of in my spare time. And uh, I really am trying to, all of these ideas that I love, like I can tuck them away as much as I want, but right now I'm staying focused on that. It's really, really good. Wow. Uh, it's so interesting you say that about like having all, all the ideas all the time. Um, when I, I did a startup accelerator for like a year and on the first day we have this like badass woman instructor from Wharton business school come in. And she was basically like, you have a lot of ideas, forget them. And was like, don't get, don't get in your own way. Don't get distracted. If you are like a true entrepreneur, like you do have, you know, I think of like, books. I think of second businesses. I think like all sorts of things. And I really, if it hadn't been for that, like I, I have a lot of half done outlines for things, um, that, you know, just kind of get graveyard because it's on to the next big thing that actually makes money. But yeah, it's, um, it's sometimes hard being in the brain of an entrepreneur. It can get very overwhelming. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like grown up, it's grown up ADD, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't feel like anything's changed since I was a kid, except now they stopped making me take tests and giving me diagnosis. And now I can like make money <laughs> at having a wild brain, but yeah, it's, um, it's so good to hear you prioritize your health. Cause I think that even for folks that don't have health issues who run businesses, I think you have, you need to put your well being as number one, because it is like, it is a thankless job being a founder and a CEO. <laughs> like it can really tear you apart and you can work, you know, 30 hours a day out of a 24 hour day, which is a lot of hours. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, it's really grueling. And so I think that it feels like it's good to hear that you have your, like your head on straight in like a good way. You're staying focused. You're not getting in your own way, but maybe eventually we'll hear, uh, we'll see some uh, new stuff from you. Absolutely. I'm excited. So what, what advice now that you've kind of, you know, been on this journey for a minute, what advice do you think you have for, for first time founders getting into the, any, any game, let alone the sex toy industry? Yeah. Um, stop trying to do everything. Absolutely. Number one bit of mm, advice. We just <laughs> talked about it. Yep. It's really easy to try to do and like every little option and like I can think of I 
some entrepreneurship I tried when I was younger and how that didn't go anywhere and recognizing in hindsight with what I know now, so much of that was because like everything that could be done was an equal priority because I was like, I'm young, I have energy, I can do everything. I can like write this email to this person and then run this social media and then like do this event and kind of do all of that. And just because you're doing a lot doesn't really mean you're doing anything good for your business. And so I think kind of the most important thing you could do is like recognize, spend some time to focus on like what the actual most important things for you to be doing in any moment are and really just focus on that. And, and anything that isn't those, like let let to the wayside. And that doesn't mean being blinded to opportunities because there are every once in a while those opportunities that just pop up where someone can introduce you to this one person and maybe it wasn't right in line with your plan, but um, it, it's good to talk with them. So, but the thing is you would never have the flexibility to really follow through with those um, really key opportunities that are rare, but oftentimes crucial for any business to start. Um, if you are so busy doing everything else, you you won't have the the clarity of mind and the openness of your schedule to really hop on the things that will take you to the next level um, or the focus to really bring the things that will take you to the next level, but just to like. That's, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I was just thinking of while y'all were talking, I was thinking like, I mean, not an entrepreneur in any right, but of how many like projects I'm involved in, I'm like, I should probably maybe not take on and like really focus. It's like, if I'm only able to dedicate, you know, two hours a week to this thing, uh, that somebody else is sort of also attached to, like, am I really doing myself or that person or this project a, a service, you know, by probably not. Um, so like cut, cut it back. That's a note to myself. <laughs> I think it's important for me to hear. Um, well, amazing. I, I really appreciate um, you sharing that with us and sharing your journey and like, just like being here with us today to kind of talk about, um, I mean, all things entrepreneurship. Um, we love that. Um, team, any, any closing remarks, anything that you have for Steph before we tune in and tune out? I love it. We love you. <laughs> We're like so uh, happy to be partners with you. And I'm just really excited to see, you know, what the future holds for you and our work together. And I just feel like it's, we've really, we've really only just begun is like how it feels. So like, thank you for trusting your baby with us. Um, we're happy to be your nanny. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it so much. Right. I am just so grateful that I get to work with you all and that I get to, you know, sit here on a podcast with such bad ass pitch witches and oh, just snap. talk about all of this cool stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. So thank you all so much for inviting me. Absolutely. It was completely our pleasure. Um, well, cool y'all. Um, thanks again for tuning in to pitch, please. Everybody. Um, as I said, at the top of the podcast, um, I'm Megan Jones and you can find us at rebellious PR. 
uh, rebelliouspr.com for all of the things. Uh, go check out our website. We've got a lot of great things going on. Um, we've just dropped our Project Uplift, which is our pro bono service uh, for black and brown businesses. We're doing um, some cool things with some merch. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, you can go to our shop on our website. Um, that's some cool things that we have going on. Um, but yeah, stay tuned to that. Um, sign up for our newsletter because we've got a lot of cool things coming every month into your inbox. A beautiful, nicely curated uh, playlist for you. Uh, lots of cool coverage. Lots of cool things happening on the rebellious PR side. So thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you. Have a great day. Bye.